Thank you, worship team. Hey, kids, you are dismissed for Sunday school. We also have our middle school, high school class today. holiday season, everything gets so crazy and busy. A friend of mine, a mom who's about my age, she's got a couple of kids, uh, she said, you know, there's so much expected of moms for the holidays. She said, uh, you know, cooking dinner every night can be stressful. She said, it's not stressful to cook a dinner. She said, it's stressful that dinner comes every single night. Is there any moms that feel that? So she said uh, online, she said, but I have found out this. She said, if you delay dinner long enough, everyone will just eat cereal. Underneath it, she said, follow me for more recipe ideas this holiday season. <laughs> so, uh, made me laugh, but I know that uh, sometimes Christmas time can feel like a, uh, it's almost a, like a finish line because you've got so many things to do. But you know what, let's just take a moment and I'm going to pray for us and we'll just calm our hearts because I, in the busyness of this, you know, they always say don't, don't miss the Christ in Christmas and it's cliche and everything, but it's true. So uh, let me pray for us and then we will open up uh, the scripture this morning. Dear Holy Father, Lord, as we begin today, as we look into your word, Lord, I pray that you would renew. Lord, I think of David's words. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And Lord, I pray that you would wash us anew, that you would create in us a clean heart, Lord, and renew a right spirit in me. God, I yearn to know you I yearn to walk with you. And Lord, in my heart's desire and my soul's wish is to spend eternity with you. So Lord, as we put pause on all the things that can distract us, and they're not necessarily bad things. There's family and friends and plans and food and fun and these aren't wrong. But Lord, I want to just stop and I want to hear you I want to see you, Lord. I want you to move in my life. I want you to move in those around me. I want you to move in this church. So, God, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start Mark chapter 6, verse 53. We've been going through the book of Mark, uh, and we're, it's, we're really right in the thick of Jesus' ministry. The title of my sermon this morning is, What's Brewing in You? Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But let's open up our Bibles to Mark 6, starting at verse 53. Now, if you remember, Jesus last week, we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, and listen, everyone knows that miracle. But there's kind of an ending to that miracle that's a little bit strange is, you know, Jesus has this crowd and he's teaching them. And then if you remember, it says that the disciples came to him and they said, hey, you know, this is a remote place, send them away. Jesus turned it back to them and said, you give them something to eat. 
They answer with a very pessimistic, sarcastic answer. What are we supposed to spend, you know, 200 denarii to feed these people? How many of us, uh, when we pray, we kind of have a heart like that, like pessimistic, it's not going to work, there's problems. Um, I, I always want to say that I'm the glass half full, but often I feel like I'm the glass is totally empty kind of person. Well, Jesus ends up feeding these people. And at the end of the miracle, he sends the disciples into the boat to go across to the other side. And then if you remember, Jesus walks out on the water and he walks to the boat. But here's the verse that really stuck out to me. And it's in chapter 6, verse 52, just a little bit earlier uh, than we're going to start today. It says, for they had not understood the, lo- the fish and the loaves because their heart was hardened. And remember I told you that the biggest challenge I believe Jesus has is not healing, is not miracles, is not raising people from the dead, it's not calming the seas or walking on water. I think Jesus' biggest challenge is our hearts. And I also think that and some people might say, well, I don't understand. If he's God, he's God. But here is the thing. God has something that he made that actually works against him. And here's what it is. He loves us unconditionally, and he allows us to choose. I want you to remember that. He allows us to choose whether we will embrace him or not. Because if you think about it, everyone wants unconditional love. But if God gave us conditional love, it would mean, hey, surely you're going to do this because I said so. Well, no, people would go, well, that's bullying. Right? So, nonetheless, Jesus has to deal with this heart condition. And he does this miracle, and the disciples don't quite get it. And it says why? Because their hearts are hardened. Despite everything they heard, despite everything they saw, there's a problem with their hearts. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, 53. And in light of what I just said, here we go. They crossed over, and they came to the land of Genesaret. And, and they anchored there. I think we have a picture of Genesaret. It's, it's on the western side, and you can see it in the bright red there. I show these periodically because sometimes you read this stuff and you go, is that really a place? You know, it's a place, you know. So they went to Genesaret, and it says, uh, in the land of Genesaret, they anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. So Jesus is very recognizable at this point. Uh, maybe people have been around him enough that they've heard him, they've seen him, they aren't recognized what he looks like. The Bible does not say that there's anything distinguishing about Jesus. I think that he fit in like an average Jewish man. Uh, if you read about when Jesus was in, uh, in the garden and the soldiers came to arrest him, they had to ask. Why? Because I think he looked like everyone else. So Jesus shows up. People recognize them, and they come running. What do people recognize about us when they notice us coming? They ran through the whole surrounding region, and they began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Now, before I get too far, I want to tell you my three for the road. Number one is this. Don't let the hunger for immediate satisfaction outweigh the eternal security. Don't let let your hunger for immediate satisfaction outweigh eternal security. These people are flooding and running and coming to Jesus. Why? Miracles. 
make my life better right now. Fix my situation right now. And I'm going to tell you that even today, we all have a tendency to do that. Like we all have a tendency to kind of run to Jesus and say, Jesus, please help this. I always joke, I've told you this story before about going in in college and I was going into a final exam that I knew was going to be a whopper. And I was walking into the exam, and I remember a group of kids were standing there who I kind of knew. It was a big lecture hall. There was two, 300 people in this class. And the one guy waves me. He goes, hey, hey, come on over. He goes, you're like holy or something, right? And I said, not particularly. I said, I'm a Christian. He goes, but you pray. And I said, yes, I do. And he goes, hey, man, can you come over here and fire one up for all of us? Because we're worried about this exam, Right. And so I go over with all these, and I'm going to tell you some college students who are on the verge of failing a major exam, they get really serious about the Lord. All right, well, guys, let's pray. And there's people like this. There's people bowed down. Everyone's doing these things, right? So they're running to Jesus. And I guess, as you know, the disciples who are aggravated with the last crowd, how do you think they feel about this crowd, right? I don't like this at all, right? They're probably complaining. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace, and they begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. What does this sound like? What miracle? The woman with the bleeding, who I am sure, we read about her just a couple of chapters ago, first off, she had suffered for 12 years, so I'm sure everyone knew of her suffering. Number two, she gets healed, and everyone found out about the healing. And I guarantee the question they all asked is, what did you do? Well, I just touched his clothes. That's the key. And so Jesus is going by, and everyone's touching him. And everyone's, because their faith is saying, hey, listen, he healed this woman, so I'm going to grab him as he goes by. And, men, and as many as touched him were made well. Let's hit this home. Do not let the hunger for the immediate satisfaction outweigh eternal security. I've said this before, but I'm really trying to nurture my prayer life and change it. Because I spend a lot of time asking God to change situations, circumstances, places in life. But I worry because sometimes I think, am I praying for eternal salvation? In other words, I think of the story in Luke 12 where Jesus talks about a guy he determines, calls the rich fool. And it's a man whose farm yielded plentiful and it grew crops and he, it grew more than he needed. And he tore down all his barns and he built bigger ones and he stored up and his 401k was loaded. And what did Jesus say to him? You fool. Tonight your soul will be demanded from you. And none of this will matter. Sometimes I think I'm worried about praying about the harvest and bigger barns and Jesus is going, you know that fool's going to go to hell. So I've been praying. I pray things like this, and you're not going to like this because you're going to hear things, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, Eric prays these things. But I pray that God will reveal sin to us. And let me tell you something about sin. It's ugly, right? 
In other words, you've seen things that happen that you think are repulsive, right? All of us have. Awful things. A few months ago, I'm sure some of you saw online the viral video of this small woman entering her apartment complex and unprovoked, a big, burly guy came in and beat this woman almost to death. He had no reason to do it other than he, she was Asian and he didn't like Asian people. And so here's like a 35-year-old man and he beat this 70-year-old woman. And they show her laying on the ground and they just show him stomping on her head. And I literally, and, and a miracle, the woman survived. And the man was caught and he was brought to justice. But I see it in everything in me. Like, oh. But every now and then I'm praying and Jesus brings things into my mind that, about me. And I go, oh, Lord, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to talk about it. I pray for people to realize that they cannot please God on their own. I pray that people would realize that there is a heaven and there is a hell. It's very, very important. People need to know these things. I remember years ago there was a woman whose children were in my youth ministry and she was suffering under, for, uh, for breast cancer for years. The church decided that we were going to have a prayer meeting and we were going to anoint this woman and pray for her and pray for healing and it's, many of you, I'm sure, have written this out with your family, different members who have cancer, where it's an up and down roller coaster. It suddenly looks good, then it looks bad, and then it looks good, and then it looks bad, and all these different things. And we prayed for this woman, prayed for this woman, and prayed for this woman. But I will never forget at the end of this prayer meeting what this woman stood up and said. It was a very emotional. There was in a room, there was probably 80 people. And she stood up and she said, I don't believe it's God's will that I'm healed. And I'm going to tell you something. When you just got a bunch of people together to pray for someone to be healed, that's like, where do you go from there? But then she went on to share about her relationship with the Lord. And I remember turning to a friend of mine, and he whispered in my ear, and he said, Eric, sometimes I worry that I spend more time praying saints out of heaven than sinners out of hell. And he said, how come we never get together and have a prayer meeting and we list all the people that we, don't, that we know that don't know the Lord and pray earnestly like that? And I got to be honest. I left that room going, you're absolutely right. We need to do that. And guess what? I have not done that. I don't know what's wrong with me. Because I am so fixated on the immediate. I'm going, Jesus, help this situation. Jesus, do that. Jesus, Jesus. And I think Jesus is saying, Eric, you read the word of God. And James, it says your life is a mist. It's here and it's gone. Eternity. You know where you're going to be. Do you know where your neighbors are going to be? Do you know where other people are going to be? And it changes me. And I don't want to treat Jesus like the genie in the bottle. And a lot of us do. Me included. Let's keep going. Three for the road. Number two. Don't, don't waste time looking at the wrong things. Don't waste time looking at the wrong things. Let's look at verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 1. 
Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now back on that map you will see, Eddie, is there any way we can bring that map back, back up? Look at Eddie, look at that. Jerusalem, you can see, is down south. So these guys have to journey for a ways. This isn't like, hey, you know, they, they got on SEPTA and two bus, you know, signs later, they were there. No, they have to journey for a ways. So they're journeying for a ways, and they're coming to see Jesus, and all the while, they're loading up. How many of you have ever had a meeting or a confrontation with somebody, and they walk in the room, and you just know they're ready to go? They've got all these things, right? Okay, let's keep going here. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw him and his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, gang, what have we just read that's going on? There's healings going on everywhere. Why are the Pharisees there? Probably because somebody stood up in the temple and said a line like this. Hey, you know, you guys talk all this stuff and you have lots of knowledge, but all I know is I know a woman who was sick for 12 years and touched the guy's robe and got healed. Can you guys do that? Hey, I know a guy who was paralyzed. They lowered him through a roof and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven and that you may know that he has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up, take your mat, and walk. And there was silence in that temple. And probably the guy went, yeah, that actually was me. And now all of a sudden, so now they go, hey, we, we got to squash this. We got to figure out what's going on. So they found fault because guys have dirty hands. Look at verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. So they would wash, they would rinse, they would wave them out to dry them out, and they would put certain cloth over and do all these things to make sure that they were clean just the right way. And it says, and when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there, there are many other things which they, they have received and hold like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Everything had to be ceremonially clean for them to use, sit on, and be around. Can you understand why established uh, ritualistic religion doesn't work? Because it doesn't relate to what's going on with everyone around them. Because no one lives like this. Ed did landscaping for years. Do you think that Ed, before he stopped for lunch, goes, oh, no, wait a minute. I have to ritually wash before I have this hoagie at Wawa. And while he's in the parking lot pouring water and doing all these things and patting his hands, the rest of his guys are going, what in the world? No one lives like that except them. But they have this power over the people. And they can't stand Jesus because Jesus is doing things that they only wish they could do. And then furthermore, Jesus, people are following Jesus. And guess what? They're following Jesus not because they have to. They're following Jesus. Why? They want to. So, the Pharisees and the scribes say, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? 
like, in light of everything that's going on around them. Can you imagine Jesus having conversation? All right, what's your question? What's your question? What's your question? Hey, I have a question. What's the deal with the dirty hands? And Jesus has to be going, that, that's what you want to talk about right now, the dirty hands. This woman was just healed. This guy was healed. This person has been healed. This guy had a demon cast out, and you're concerned about what's under my disciples' fingernails. That's what we're, okay, so let's talk about it. So what does Jesus say? Well, guess what? When you come to him and talk to him in a position of authority, he'll respond from a position of authority. If you come to him to speak to him in the heart, he will respond to you in the heart. He will give you the answer that is required to satisfy the stubbornness of your soul. He really will. So Jesus answered and said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? See, one of the things Jesus will use with the Pharisees is he will quote scripture to them that they know and they have memorized. So what does he say? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines that com the commandments of men. In other words, you will betray God, you will leave God to satisfy your own lusts, to satisfy the rules of men. Let's make this hit home. Don't waste time looking at the wrong things. A few weeks ago, I talked about judgment versus compassion. This whole passage just oozes judgment. It also is completely socially deaf to what is going on around. That's why I have tremendous compassion and I have tremendous respect for John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus. Because at least Nicodemus said, listen, it is obvious you are from God because no one could say the things you say and do the things you could do if God wasn't with them. So Nicodemus basically said, help me understand. And I appreciate that. Don't waste time looking at the wrong things. Value people. Value others' beliefs. Value others' opinions. No one will listen to the gospel or consider anything you say if they don't sense that you value them. I don't know if people have been watching any of the World Cup, but the other day I was watching Morocco. Morocco made this tremendous run to like the final four, which is no one ever would have picked them to go that far. After they lost that game, uh, Morocco, they, they, the whole team are Muslims. After they lost the game, they congratulated the team that had beaten them. Then the entire team walked over into the middle of the field, faced west, got down on their hands and knees, and bowed down to worship Allah. They always do that facing west towards Mecca. And one of the things is, is I, I, I'm not Muslim. I do not believe in the Islamic faith at all. But I will tell you this. I respect that in the throes of a really difficult defeat in front of 90,000 people, they stopped everything they did. They wouldn't do interviews on TV. They wouldn't do any of these things until they gave thanks to their God. And I think that sometimes encounters I've had with people who are Muslims, they'll say, how come Christians aren't that devoted? How come Christians, they get caught up in all these things? 
But if they believe that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, why don't they follow him radically? And I'll tell you what, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. One of the things I do as a test to myself is I say, God, what are the things that fill your heart? And God, what are the things that break your heart? And then I do a litmus test. Are the things that fill God's heart and the things that break God's heart the same thing that fill my heart and break my heart? Sometimes I think they're aligned. Sometimes I'm not so sure. I was reading the other day in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25. And I want to read this to you real quick. It's about the parable of the Good Samaritan. It said, and behold, a certain lawyer stood and tested him, meaning Jesus. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded to him and said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In other words, what was common in that culture is they would discuss things. So they would say, this is my understanding. What's your understanding? Jesus turns to him and says, all right, you've read the law. What do you think? This is what the guy answers. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Do you notice that all of that speaks to the heart? That all of that, it doesn't mention, oh, and make sure that you take care of washing correctly. And make sure that you don't step near where a body is buried because that will make you unclean. And it doesn't say, oh, and listen, it, it, if, if a woman is going through her time of the month, make sure that she doesn't touch anyone because she'll defile everyone. No, it doesn't say any of that. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. You know, sometimes people will say to me, they'll, they'll ask me something, and they'll say, hey, Eric, you know, what if we did this or this or this? You know, why don't you talk with Pam and, and see what she thinks? But how many of you with your spouses, you've been together long enough that you kind of know what they're going to think and what they're going to say? Why? Because you've got a deep, intimate relationship with them. I want my relationship with the Lord to be so close that when life happens to me, when things go on, that I go, yeah, this is what the Lord thinks of that. This is how the Lord would react to that. I'm also trying to shift how I behave myself. <laughs> that sounds weird. I think many Christians have their PhD in telling people what God does not like. I think we should talk about what he does like. Because he loves people. He loves them so much he sent his son to die for them. He loves them that much. But we go around and we keep saying, well, God hates this, God hates this, God hates And I think if you look in the Bible, I think God talks a lot more about what he loves than what he hates. But we get that backwards. In youth ministry, I always used to challenge myself, Eric, don't tell kids what not to do. Instead, try and inspire them to do this. And I think that's a good lesson in life. Don't waste time looking at the wrong things. Spend more time looking at the right things. Listen, Christians will offend you. Christians will say things and do things that you disagree with. They'll believe certain things. 
They'll vote ways you don't care for. It doesn't matter. Eternity is what the game plan is all for. Let's finish this up. Three for the road, number three. What's brewing in you? Let's look at verse 14. So, well, before we get into that, let's look at this last section here. Verse 8, he says, that For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold to the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. All too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. He who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift from God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Now listen, I'm going to tell you real quick what that's all about. What would happen in that culture is, listen, the kids take care of the parents as they get elderly. But what the church came in is the church would say, hey, listen, as your parents get older, give as much as you can to the church and trust God for your parents. Now, do I believe that we should trust God? Yes. Do I believe that we should take care of our parents? Yes. I hope my kids are listening. Yes. Yes. Because the last thing I want is Chase to go, well, Dad, it looks like you could use some help, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm going to go send my offering in right now. No. And Jesus says, look, you, you take the commandments of God and you twisted them around to do your own thing, and then you discredit them. But let's finish this up, verse 14. Then he called the multitude to himself, and he said, hear me, everyone, and understand. See, I think Jesus got tired of talking to these guys. He brings the rest of the crowd, and why? Because he knows their heart's ready. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside that can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. I'm not scared of the world around me. I'm scared what's in me. I told you I was reading a, a documentary about the Nuremberg trials where they brought in these Nazis who had done horrific crimes to the Jewish people during World War II. One man was brought in who had done just absolutely unspeakable things in concentration camps. And when he brought him in, this one Jewish survivor just cried and cried and cried. And the, man's, uh, the guy interviewing him said, tell us what, why you're crying. Tell us what you think, what you're thinking. And, and, and you think he's going to say, this man did this, did this, did this. He said, I'm crying because what I realize is this whole time in these concentration camps, I believed that these, these people were monsters, almost like evil aliens. He said, what I realize now is they're just men. And he said, it terrifies me that that's inside of a man. Keeps going. Verse 17, when he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable because they don't know what's going on. Why? Because they've got calluses on their heart and everything that comes to try and penetrate it just bounces off. He says, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And then he said, what comes out of a man 
that defiles him. For from within the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetedness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an eye for ev an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. How many of you look at the world and go, man, it's getting really bad out there? Well, I'm going to tell you something. A few thousand years ago, Jesus, that was his assessment of the world. And it's not much different. Let's look at some of these things. Evil thoughts. Have you ever had thoughts that actually alarm you? Have you ever thought evil that you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just thought that. Adulteries is having sex outside the realm of marriage. Sex with someone who's married. Fornication is having sex between two single people. Murder. Now listen, you think, all right, that's, that's an easy one. Or that, but Jesus is talking, and guess who's hearing that? The same people from Jerusalem who not long later will say, crucify him. Theft, stealing, covetedness. If you look up the definition of covetedness, it says an insatiable desire for worldly gain insatiable that nothing can satisfy it wickedness wickedness is interesting because people use wickedness and evil and they think it's the same thing wickedness is when you knowingly in free will choose evil in other words sometimes you might do something and then afterwards you go I shouldn't have done that that was wrong no wickedness is I know this is wrong I will do it anyways Deceit, misrepresenting truth. That's one of Satan's greatest things. He's the master deceiver. Lewdness, villainy, law-breaking, evil eye. Always focus on the worst. Always looking for an angle. Blasphemy is a reverence towards God. Whether it's using his name in vain or just flat out a reverence. Think about when Jesus was hanging on the cross and what did the Pharisees yell out? He saved everyone else, but he can't save himself. When the question should have been, he saved everyone else, why isn't he saving himself? Maybe we need to stop ac accusations and start asking why. Pride. Right next to pride, I just put mankind. Foolishness, like Herod dealing with John the Baptist. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. See, in light of that list, are dirty hands something that we really need to be worried about? Like, is that the least of the concerns that are going on here? Let's hit this home. What's brewing in you? Listen, everyone, uh, listen, I feel like when I was young, I, I had a stomach like a goat. I feel like I could eat great food, and then I could probably eat one of the cushions off the chair, and it wouldn't bother me. But now, I don't know what's happened, but like, how many of you have eaten something, and then like, it looks really good, and you eat it, and that night you go, oh, I shouldn't eat that, right? Like, you know, during the holidays, you know, Pam and I will go somewhere, whatever, it'll be, a, and, and like, there'll be something to eat, and it's really spicy or hot, and it's like 8.30 at night, and I'm taking this on my plate. And Pam, who knows me, will walk by and go, you can eat that? <laughs> and I'll say, it'll be fine. And then in her loving way, she goes, all right. <laughs> then later, oh, my gosh, my stomach. 
I don't know, Eric, maybe it's that spicy stuff you ate, just wondering. It's always the spicy stuff you ate for the last 10 years, but uh, you know, yeah. we all know. We know. And what's brewing in us? In the same way, Jesus fires off this list of all these things, and I'm going to tell you these things not only harm other people, but it steals our life. It literally leeches off of us. I was telling Ed's story years ago. My dad had a car that constantly the battery was dying on it. All the time. And we put new batteries in it. We put a new alternator. We put all these different things in it. My dad went from mechanic to the dealership to mechanic and this and that and all these different things all the time. Then finally, some like young mechanic calls. My dad drops it off there. He's very like, this guy won't know what's going on. Guy calls like a half hour later. Hey, Mr. Segula, I fixed your car. You're all set. He goes, what's the problem? He goes, well, I opened up the trunk, and the light in the trunk was very hot. He said, what I realized is the wiring was not correct, and so your trunk light was on 24-7, whether the car's running or not. My dad's like, oh, my gosh. Well, how much do I He goes, uh, $2. After we had put an alternator in, a couple of batteries, all these different things. The point of it is, is this stuff can brew in us. And it can cause problems in all sorts of areas in our life. I need to steer clear of things that trigger me. All of us have things that trigger us, right? So Pam and I have decided we really don't watch the news much at all. Because it never really makes us feel good. Like I never at the end of the newscast go, I don't know, hon, but I'm happy. How are you feeling about things? Because the end result is, whatever's going on in the news is not going to change anything in what's going on in Millville. Whatever's going on in the news is not going to change, you know, hey, my kids have an exam and I need to be praying for them. And It's not going to affect any of those things. So I think that Jesus is saying, hey, Eric, stop letting that stuff brew in you. Stay away from triggers. Change your surroundings. Change the way you talk. Change your habits. And then, on top of it, he's saying, hey, Eric, but here's the other thing you need to do. Number one, you need to be aware that this stuff is brewing in you. And then number two, we need to have an honest conversation about it. You know, a while back, Pam and I were talking, and, and she, came, she said to me, she said, are you mad at me? And I said, no. And she said, okay. She said, I'm just telling you, like, I just feel like there is anger coming out of you, like just sitting there watching you, you look angry. And then, you know, I'm fine. I'm not fine. The end result is I said, hon, I'm not even sure why I'm angry, but I am angry. And then it clicked. Eric, it's brewing in you. It's brewing in you. And maybe there's something triggering it and you don't know what it is. Maybe it's not. But what I'm telling you is, Eric, you have to deal with these things inside of you. Because there's times where I feel things and I think things and I have no idea why I feel or think them. And then what I realize is the Lord's saying, Eric, it's because it's in you. It's in you. Just like eating that spicy stuff late at night, it's going to cause you problems later. This stuff brewing in you will flush out in all sorts of ways in your life. It'll infect you. It'll change your relationships with others. It'll steal your peace. It'll 
fill you with these things. I want to close today, and if you can, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, because I think this kind of sums up this passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul is speaking, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Do you realize that the people who don't know Christ walk and live in a way that is completely foreign to us? And here's the deal. We cannot tell them about Christ. We cannot witness to them if they think, well, you're just the same as all of us. We've got to be different. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So I have literally gone to people to visit them when they are close to the point of death, and I ask them about the Lord, and they'll kind of wave it off, and they'll go, hey, listen, whatever happens, happens. And I go, how can you be that blind when death is at the door? Who be, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to the work of all uncleanliness with greediness. So what do they live? They live by their gut. They live by what is brewing in them, and they just react to it. And if it harms them, if it harms others, so what? People use these phrases, I'm just being me. And guess what? Satan's behind the scenes going, you be you. Keep being you. Feel it. Do it. Think it. Do it. Don't worry, it's you. Don't let anyone try and control that. Finishes up. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he's saying, listen, you guys know a lot of stuff. You guys are very religious. You guys look right. You talk right. You walk around right. But your heart is far from me. Everyone knows when someone is going through the motions. Everyone knows that. And everyone knows when someone is living with their heart. Like today, I didn't wake up and lean over to Pam and say, hey, hon, I just want you to know that today I've decided I will not have an affair on you because I signed a legal document, and we're married. And Pam didn't roll over and go, you had me at good morning. No, why do I do these things? Because I love and I'm committed, and that's the difference. Finishes up here. Put off, put off concerning your old former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness 
and holiness. Remember on the road to Emmaus when Jesus is resurrected and he's walking with those guys and they don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus just starts talking and they're talking about life. And Jesus, it says that they ask him if they heard anything about Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus goes, no, I don't hear anything about him. And they said, well, we thought he was going to lead us and this and that, and he was crucified. And then what I love is Jesus doesn't go, you dum-dums. Instead, he says, hmm, well, let's look at the scriptures. And it says, starting with Moses, he walked through everything and explained everything. And then when they go to stop, they beg Jesus to stay with them. Then he breaks bread and he reveals himself to these men. But I love the line, weren't our hearts beating out of our chest. And they ran back in the dark, back to Jerusalem. Why? He is risen. Eternal security is the focus here. Immediate satisfaction, and we need to have a balance. I'm not saying if someone isn't suffering, we don't pray. I'm not saying if someone's in need, we don't do something. There is a balance, but we need to remember that it's all about heaven. We need to stop wasting time on things that really don't matter. And we need to stop focusing on those things and not getting so ticked off about things that really don't matter. And then we need to be ever present with the Lord and say, God, there is some stuff brewing in me. That's why we do things like Sunday mornings. That's why we do different meetings during the week, during the year. That's why we do this marriage conference. Why? Because there's stuff brewing in all of us. And when you take someone who's got some really crummy stuff brewing in them, and you marry someone else who's got a lot of crummy stuff brewing in them, it's going to be an exciting ride. you got to bring it to the Lord. Let's stand up. The worship team's going to come up. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning to not be religious. I want to encourage you this morning to engage with a heavenly father who loves you, who cares, whose book is the all-time bestseller book of any book ever. Why? Because it transforms life. I've talked to different people who have different religions and different things like that, and I'll say, tell me why you follow whatever. And they'll say, uh, well, it's, it's right, and it gives us structure, and it gives us all these things. And I hear no one say, I was blind, but now I see. I have no one who says, I was a sinner, and now I'm saved. I have no one say, my life has been transformed. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Why is it called the good news? Because it's good news for people just like us. But what does man do? Man makes it real complicated. And man, well, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do all these different things. When I first came here on staff, I remember a woman came up to me and said, now what are rules about how far, how long dresses need to be for women in the church? And I, don't, I remember thinking, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, we, 
women shouldn't come wearing swimsuits if you're asking. I, I don't know. I said, I don't know what the answer is. She goes, well, like down to their ankles or something like that. And I remember reading things about churches hundreds of years ago. And they used to say, well, they wanted women to wear dresses that went down to the ankles. And it said that men struggle with lust over women's ankles. So then they went down to the floor. And then they said that they wanted their, 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 their to go right up to their chin because men would lust after their, their necks. And I remember thinking, hey, listen, at one point, we could take women and just cover them in a whole body bag garbage can or, or a garbage bag, and people would go, that's a good-looking garbage bag over there. <laughs> Why? Because you can't change the outside when the problem's inside. So let's pray. And I do this all the time. If you're someone in this room that's comfortable praying with someone else, raise your hand in the air. If you need prayer today, Talk with someone who has their hand up and say, listen, I'm trying to figure this out. Will you pray with me? And they will. And if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. It's not stealing. We give them away. <laughs> Let me close this. Dear Holy Father, Lord, thank you for this day. And Lord, I remember for there was a long time in my life where I used to think, listen, I'm safe. I go to church. I'm, everything's fine. But Lord, what I realized is two things. Number one is this. Just because I go in and out of a building, just because... Um, I observe Christian holidays and that it didn't mean I was a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, I was going through the motions. My heart was far from you. Lord, I pray that you would captivate my heart once again, that I would love you, that I would cherish you, that I would pursue you with the same intensity, with the same recklessness that you have pursued me. Lord, you never asked me to do anything that you're not willing to do. Lord, I just pray that I'd be willing to do the things you did. Lord, that I would love you the way you love me. That I would pursue you. That I would yearn for a deep relationship with you. And Lord, if there's anyone here who up to this point in their life, it's just been religion. Lord, there's so much more to you. You wrote, your, your word is, just directs us. It's a light into our path, Lord. God, may we pour our life into it. And may you move through us. So we thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.